Good evening, ghouls and ghoulettes, and welcome to Killer Horror Critic, the podcast worth dying for. Hosted by the Killer Horror Critic himself, this is the show where guests from all over the horror spectrum join to talk about some of their favorite horror films. So get snugged under the covers, grab a cuddly puppy, and prepare for tonight's blood-curdling episode of Killer Horror Critic. Good evening, horror fans, and welcome to another episode of Killer Horror Critic. I'm your host, Matt. And I'm Chris. And this is a podcast where my wife and I critique and argue over horror films. A couple of drunks at the bar, so... Maybe never quite learn anything. Maybe we never enlighten you, especially tonight, probably. (laughs) (laughs) But hopefully you just have a good time listening. So to why I say that is because today we are (laughs) today we are talking about the 1988 slasher Halloween film Hackle Lantern, uh, which (laughs) is amazing. Something else Um, (laughs) uh, is directed by Jag. Mundra, Moon Mundra, I cannot pronounce names. Uh, who also went on to do does a lot of crime or did a lot of crime movies, you know, like the Jigsaw Murders or a film called Night Eyes. Uh, it was written by Carla Robinson. This is their only feature. <laughs> Not too shocked by that. Um, and essentially, it's about this dude named Tommy, played by Gregory Scott Cummins, who. Uh, has this creepy grandpa played by High Pike, and <laughs> grandpa's like part of a cult that has some kind of plans for Tommy, and then people start dying <laughs> on Halloween, and like, you know, it's just such a fucking weird film that <laughs> I, to say anything else would either spoil it or not spoil it or make it more confusing or less confusing. <laughs> I really don't know. It's just that kind of movie. Uh, so, so we are going to spoil this film, but before that, we have our usual spoiler-free content. Uh, so I do recommend checking it out before we get into that. Uh, I think it's streaming on Shutter. You can probably check it out there. Uh, otherwise, I don't know. I don't quite know. This is the one where I'm like, you must pay to rent it. I will Chris, say you must pay to rent it. It's Chris, so much fun. I just, I just want to emphasize, it's terrible, but in the best ways. Yes, <laughs> it's terrible chaos, and I love it. Yeah. So, so go check it out before listening to the rest of this. But we are gonna do spoiler-free content first. So per usual. Our releases for this week uh it's really exciting actually this month and i know that there's going to be that crowd of you out there that are like boo remakes boo sequels <laughs> boo reboots boo requels boo tv series like you know boo I, everything i well there you know there's that group where it's like literally every time a horror property is you know gets any kind of redux you know there's mm-hmm. always the crowd that's like fuck hollywood hollywood has no original <laughs> ideas blah 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 and, you know, look, I get it. I used to be in that crowd, but my mindset now is, you know, these things, not only is it fun to kind of get another take on some of our favorites, Mm -hmm. but our old favorites still exist. And these new ones, you know, potentially help bring newcomers to the franchises that we love. And so we get more fans to enjoy them with, you know, so we want more people in our cult. Right. So, so I kind of look at it that way, you know, it's a way, yeah, it's, it's an easier way to get more cult members than the way that grandpa goes about in Hackalanta, right? You know, grandpa's kind of taking the hard way out. This is the easy way out. Just Mm -hmm. show them a movie. So, uh, but, but anyway, you know, that being said, so what's fun about this month is it's kind of like a classic slashers renaissance this month. So, and really this year, I mean, we're kind of seeing it going forward too. Uh, but this week in particular is uh, just but this week loaded. In, so first up is the I Know What You Did Last Summer series. This just premiered on Amazon Prime. And these will all be out by the time you're listening to this. But this is on Amazon Prime. And it's basically, uh, you know, kind of a reboot, soft reboot of the film that we've seen, which itself is based on a book. And I was talking with someone about this today on how this series is actually a little bit closer to the book, which is oh. more... Or at least so far, you know, uh-huh. we've only watched the first episode, but but the book itself was kind of more of like your your typical sort of murder mystery, right? Yeah. Whereas the film is obviously much more a '90s <laughs> stylish slasher. So. Yeah. Uh, so so you get a little bit more of that kind of murder mystery vibe in this, you know, kind of uh-huh. it's a little more similar to that, but 
yeah, as far as the series goes for itself so far, I will say it's a little too melodramatic teen drama <laughs> for me. Oh, but... it's absolutely <laughs> like CW drama. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> I, I've heard it compared a lot to, uh, what is it, Pretty Little Liars, you know, yeah. stuff like that. Uh, I would absolutely agree with that. Yep. <laughs> uh, it very much has that tone. So, so you know, it, that's not my style, <laughs> I, it, it, but I'm still going to watch it. I'm hoping it'll draw me in further. You know, I kind of had the same reaction to the Scream TV series originally, where mm-hmm. at first I was kind of like, uh, I don't know about this. And then it eventually kind of drew me in just because it got more and more fun, right? Yeah. I'm sure that's what will happen with this. But I just want to say, you know, <laughs> one piece of advice I have to, to really any writer, any filmmaker, and, you know, yes, who am I to talk? But this is this is advice that I've gotten, like, down the line over the years, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's this. Um, Any time that you're throwing a voiceover into your <laughs> script... <laughs> Just don't, <laughs> you know, I, yeah. I, I've mentioned this many times on here, I think, but just don't. And the reason being like, anytime you do a voiceover, especially the way that this one is presented and I know what you did last <laughs> summer, uh, I know that you think it sounds smart. I know that you think it sounds poetic. I know that you think that it sounds like thought provoking and all that kind of stuff. The chances are about like 99% that you're probably wrong. Yeah. <laughs> and that it's just going to sound really goddamn pretentious. <laughs> Which is why I and, made fun of it. <laughs> yeah. And, and I mean, that was my, you know, that was my problem right from the beginning is we open with like a five minute, you know, internal monologue from the main character as she's driving around. I'm just like, okay, I've already had enough. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> you know, cause and, and here's why, like, so if you ever do write voiceovers and I'm sorry, this is not what this <laughs> podcast is about, but when you do write voiceovers, you know what I, what I always use the parameter for, for what makes a good voiceover is something like the film Goodfellas, right? With Ray Liotta, mm-hmm. where you open that film with this long monologue from Liotta. But the difference is, is that in, in Goodfellas, you're, you're not being told the truth, you know, yeah. like you're, you're being told this monologue from Ray where he thinks that everyone in town, like, you know, respects him and likes his family and all this kind of stuff. But that's not true. They all do these <laughs> things for him because they're fucking afraid of him, you know? And yeah. so that's the point. Like there's an irony to it. But when your voiceover is just your character internally, you know, basically being like, you never really know who you are until you do something bad. You know, it's like, it's like no fucking shit, you know? I know that already. You're not enlightening me with this, you know? So just stop it. Like, it's just annoying. Anyway, I've ranted enough about that. Uh, Voiceover's bad. Don't do them. (laughs) So so that's on Prime. Uh, Next up is the Chucky series, which just premiered on Sci-Fi. I fucking loved it. You know, this this basically is uh, Chucky... It's a continuation of the film franchise that Don Mancini's been uh, directing the films for lately, and it's a continuation of that, so it ties directly into it. Um, But it's about Chucky being found by uh, this teen boy, and, you know, he's this bullied kid who gets picked on a lot. and Makes creepy doll sculptures. Makes creepy doll sculptures (laughs) and has an abusive dad, played by Devin Sawa, and... Uh, and anyway, you know, Chucky, from what you can kind of get from the first episode, is starting to take it upon himself to be like, hey, kid, I'm going to teach you how to murder people, you know? <laughs> <And> so, <laughs> yeah. Uh, which, so far, what we've seen from the first episode, I fucking love it, you know? Yeah. I, I, think it, I think it retains all of the, uh, all of the atmosphere and, and what we're used to from a child's play film, especially lately from Mancini, where it's like, really funny but also kind of creepy and bloody and yeah. you know very violent and creative i mean even even in this first episode <laughs> a couple of the kills are just like whoa what the hell you know <laughs> yeah i mean i personally really like the fact that we're getting kind of a different take with chucky because it's always been chucky terrorizing people mm. and so it's kind of interesting to now have chucky potentially working with our main character and against him so i think that's a really cool new innovation that we have with the show plus jennifer Tilly's going to be in it later and i fucking yep. love jennifer tilly yeah i mean it's not totally new because that's kind of bride of chucky and seed of chucky only in that sense (laughs) it was teaching dolls like the the fellow doll killers you know to kill so it's not the first time chucky's like worked with anybody Mm -hmm. um but it will be the first time that we're seeing him like really work with a human child right so and and we'll see how that goes like i don't actually know how far (laughs) the franchise or the series is going to take that but yeah but no, I thought it was a lot of fun. Uh, Chucky looks great, you know. Mm-hmm. I think that it. I, I think the fans of the franchise are really gonna like it, you know. So I can't promise that you'll love it, you know. Especially because so many of us are like so fucking, you know, just uh, pessimistic now these days <laughs> and like whatnot. 
Um, but but I do think that there are a lot of fans that are really going to enjoy this. Uh, so that's on Sci-Fi. So go check it out there. I'm sure it's on demand through Sci-Fi at this point. I would hope, or I think it's also. I think you can also find an extended cut on YouTube potentially. Ooh. I think I saw that the other day. Uh, and then lastly is Halloween Kills, which is now <laughs> in theaters and on Peacock. Uh, Chris and I have not had the pleasure of watching this yet, but we plan to actually do that pretty shortly after we record tonight. So, so this one, as many of you probably know, is just a continuation of the 2018 Halloween film uh, from Bloomhouse and director David Gordon Green. And, you know... my thing about it is like, look, I was not a huge fan of the 2018 version. It feels Agreed. very much, it, it feels very much like fanfic to me, and that's not. <laughs> Don't that's, knock fanfic. That's not to knock fanfic necessarily, but I just mean that, like, look, you know, there there are certain times where you're watching a movie, and it either feels like a homage to something you love, uh-huh. or it feels like fanboying over something you love. <laughs> And Halloween 2018 very much feels like the fanboy movie, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, where it's like, I always wish Jamie Lee Curtis was tougher. Now she's going to be the ultimate Sarah Connor badass, <laughs> you know, like it just it, there's so much of it of that in there. Yeah. That being said, I think it brought back a lot of what we like about the franchise. You know, mm-hmm. it brought back kind of like that more somewhat serious kind of creepy atmosphere, it brought yeah. back brutality. Uh, the fun kills and Halloween kills looks like a blast because it just looks like a total fucking slaughter from Michael yeah. Myers. So, uh, uh, I can't wait to watch this. Yeah. So hopefully it'll be okay. I'm really worried that I'm going to hate the script and the dialogue, but <laughs> I'm already prepared for that. So we'll see. As long as the kills are good, I'll be happy. And there's still a shitty boyfriend out there who needs to die. Yeah, hopefully he gets his, because yeah. if not, I, I mean, if he's not dead by Halloween ends, I'm going to be really pissed. But He's got one more movie to die if he doesn't die in this one. Right, exactly. So anyway, so those are all out this weekend. They're they're all worth checking out, especially if you're a fan of those franchises. So go do that. Uh, one other thing we like to do before we get into spoilers is every week on our Twitter, at Killer Critics, we like to put up a poll, kind of getting your thoughts and feelings on the film. So with Hack-A-Lantern, between Love It, it's fine. Don't like it. Never seen it. Where do you think the audience falls on this one? Look, it obviously has to be love it because this movie is oh, amazing. Obviously, I'm sure every person in the <laughs> world is like hack a lantern. Top it's, five movie. It's so much fun. You can't not love it. I think more realistic, maybe. You know, if it wasn't, if it hadn't been on Joe Bob, then I'd say never seen it. Do you know what? I'm gonna stick with that for my answer. I'm gonna assume a whole bunch of people haven't seen it. Okay. Well, so you're half right. Um, so <laughs> which half? <laughs> Well, good to tell you. So, uh, love it was seventeen point five percent. It's fine. It was thirty three point eight percent. Don't like it was fifteen percent, and never seen it was thirty three point eight percent. So you're half right. Half of the majority of the poll <laughs> has not seen it, and then the other majority was it's fine. So, uh, which is which is where I fall, you know, and, and we'll get into that in a minute, but. Um, but we also have comments to go along with these. These are all from Twitter. So up first is at Firk Your Work. So that's F-U-R-K-Y-O-U-R-W-U-R-K. And they say, I dare anyone to not be entertained by satanic cult grandpa. If you aren't entertained, you must be some kind of stone-hearted sociopath. <laughs> I absolutely agree with this. I love the grandpa in this film so much because he's so extra. And that's kind of what I like about a lot of this film is that the performances, everybody in this just really committed to their character to like the like 10th degree. Like everybody's over the top. Everybody's really into it. And the grandpa in this film is so much fun to watch because he goes around trying to do devil horns, but it's really the sign language for I love you. And I think that's hilarious. Yeah. Oh man. Um, <laughs> Do you not like the grandma? The grandpa? No, I love the grandpa. Okay. I'm just, I'm just not going to pretend that it's, you know, good on a actual like what good means level. But it's, <laughs> it sure is something. And look, you're right. The, the thing, frick your work and Chris are, are both exactly right with this. Is that, you know, you can't watch this movie and just not enjoy the ridiculous call grandpa. Like the, you know, High Pike shows up immediately in this film. And it's just so over the top, so just extra and creepy and just <laughs> as weird and grandpa-y as he can possibly be. And it's great. You know, like he he is by far my favorite performance in the movie. He goes way over the top with it. Yep. And it's just so much fun to watch. So 
So, no, I, I completely agree. You know, this is one of those things where, like, you have to go in wanting to hate the film to not at least get a little bit of joy out yeah. of Grandpa's performance here. Uh, so, anyway, thank you, for your work for the comment. Really appreciate it. Next up is at Carter Wrote It. So, that's C-A-R-T-E-R-W-R-O-T-E-I-T. And they say, Hi, Pike is truly inspired, and the random music video and the random comedy set, it just hits on so many levels. <laughs> Like, it's one of my favorite things. I have so many favorite things about this film, but the fact that we have all these random scenes that kind of add to the movie and kind of don't, the the music video scene is so much fun, just having all that, like, heavy rock music in there. And then the stand-up scene makes no sense whatsoever, but we're failing to mention the fact that it comes right after there is a stripper scene. There's a stripper <laughs> scene in this movie, guys. A very casual one, too. Very <laughs> casual. Everybody's just like, it's just at a Halloween party. And everybody's just like, yeah, this is totally normal for our yeah. town. Yeah, no, the, the town Halloween party at, like, the rec hall in the middle of town. Just yep. random stripper for all the teenagers. Exactly. <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, so, first of all, about the video, uh, I actually do think that there's, that it's not quite as random as it seems in the movie. I do have my, my own take on the music video portion of this. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, no, the comedy set, look, <laughs> the, those of you who listen to this know that I like to, I like to try to figure out, like, the purpose of some of what's going on here. <laughs> and, and I will tell you, you know, th- this comedy skit, like, makes me want to pull my hair out, because I just don't know. No. I, 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 I'm just pretty sure that it's just pure fucking madness that's just thrown into the movie because it's a short film and they needed to fill a few minutes, you know, like, I, <laughs> like, I really you don't think it's filler. I really don't know. I, you know, I, I'm struggling to remember the commentary or, or the Joe Bob take on this. I don't know if, I don't remember if maybe the director was friends with the comedian who does that skit and just wanted to like throw him in the movie <laughs> for the hell of it. Uh, but Whatever reason it's there for, it has nothing to do with the movie. Nope. Uh, and so so I, I just like rack my brain over this and I'm like, I got nothing. Nope. I got nothing. So if any of you got <laughs> if any of you have anything for why you think that fucking comedy scene's there, please let me know. Um but no, but yeah, it's also random and ridiculous that it's just fun. Like yeah. it's just it's such a weird, silly movie that yeah, I mean, going back to freak your works comment, like you do have to kind of be like a stone hearted sociopath. <laughs> You know, to not really just get old, some enjoyment out of this. Uh, but anyway, so thank you at Carter Rotor for the comment. Appreciate it. Next up is at M Sawzall. So that's M-S-A-W-Z-A-L-L. And they say, I love it in a what the hell am I watching kind of way. It has very little of anything of quality, but that's what makes it so good. It's like Troll 2. <laughs> yeah, there's there's not a whole lot of quality in here, but they make up for it with heart with how much heart is in this they, film and they tits they do have heart and a whole lot of tits and some ass yeah. so <laughs> you know it's look this is the type of movie that like if you like the ridiculous the over the top like the low budget things you're gonna love this film if you're the type of horror fan who only really likes the more i guess for lack of a better word intellectual highbrow horror you're gonna hate this movie <laughs> Oh, yeah, no, absolutely this, hate it no yeah this is not this is not for the highbrow crowd um no, if you're pretty much a24 only do not watch this film yeah so so uh so first of all i, I agree with sawzall in the sense that you know it, it's exactly all those things uh, uh what the hell am i watching kind of way is exactly how i think about this movie it's fun in that i just don't understand it yeah and you know it's not quality it is kind of like troll 2 but as we all know with troll 2 a lot of us love that movie because of how little quality it has. Yeah. You know? uh, this is one of those kind of like cult movies that's fun to go to the theater and watch with the crowd as you all repeat the terrible dialogue back to each other because there are so many lines that are just like, that's stupid and I love it. <laughs> yep. I That's my new dream in life to see this with an audience. I could swear that this is played at one of the like all night marathons that we've had here. Mm-hmm. Uh, I loved when Joe Bob did it because... <laughs> You know, he, he got to show it to a whole audience that had never seen it before. And it was really fun to read their comments. But um, but no, it is one of those movies. It's a, it's an audi- it's a crowd movie, you know. Yeah. It's the kind of film that you go and watch at midnight with a bunch of horror fans and have a good time with. And and so, yeah, I, I, I would actually love to see a double feature of it with Troll 2. I think <gasps> that'd be great. That'd be amazing. Um, but anyway, so thank you, at them Sawzall, for the comment. Appreciate it. Next up is at Neon Robot Attack. So that's Neon Robot Attack attack and they say hi pike as grandpa and seeing max dad from it's always sunny is fun for at least one viewing but i'd be shocked if this made anyone's top 10 <laughs> list 
for anything, I'm the Devil's Son is oddly catchy too. Well, you know, Neon Robot, I think this might actually be Chris's. <laughs> it's in top my top ten. 10 for Halloween movies. <laughs> it's not mine, but <laughs> it's definitely in there for me. No, it's look, we all love Grandpa. He's so much fun to watch, but this is this does have really good rewatchability. Mm. I know that sounds crazy, but there's so many little things like hidden in the corners because all of our extras that are in this film, not even our main cast, but a lot of our extras are really into the roles they're playing and they're really fun to watch. Like I will watch this movie like a bajillion times and it's probably my new like must watch for October. Yeah. So look, you know, Chris is somewhat new to this, so I think she's still coming <laughs> off the high of how ridiculous it is, you know, <laughs> but yeah, no, I mean, okay. So, so that, so neon, that's one person out there that has it on their top 10 list. Uh, but I, but I will say, yeah, no, I, I, I get it. It's, you know, I, I do find it, like I said, I do find it really enjoyable. It is fun for those. And actually, you know, Devil's Son is really oddly catchy. I've had it, that song stuck in my head this entire week. It's a great song. Uh, you know, it's one of the theme songs of the film, and I just can't get it out of my mind. But yeah, no, it, you know, again, is it the kind of movie where if you're going to look up, like, best Halloween horror movies lists, you're probably not going to find Hack Lantern on there Boo. in the top 10. Maybe in the top 30, but I don't I don't know if you're going to find a lot of people <laughs> listed as their favorite. But I do think it belongs on those lists of fun Halloween horror movies to watch, you know? Yeah. I do think it I do think it's one of those to like invite friends over and force them to watch it and have them all hate you and be like, Why are you doing this to me? Nobody <laughs> would hate you. You would all have a good time. Let's not say that. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, thank you at Neon Robot Attack for the comment. Appreciate it. And then so the last comment is at Beer Nut One. So that's B E R. So that's B E E. R-N-U-T, and then the number one. And they say, hack lantern is a fun watch. I remember the grandpa, High Pike, the most. Grandpa's portrayed is one of the most straight-up evil characters you can think of. Do you think a straightforward character portrayal helps or hurts the audience trying to connect to the film? <laughs> no, I don't think it hurts that he's just straightforward evil. Like, we, we have characters like that in other horror films. It's kind of fun watching, like this like little evil gremlin of a man just running around the movie and it makes it more fun and endearing i think i don't know i have a soft spot <laughs> yeah no that's how i would say it too like you know i, I get what seth is saying here and it, which by the way what's up seth and and you know i i get that like you know sometimes it's more interesting to have a more kind of well-rounded villain that you know is maybe a little bit more relatable i guess uh-huh. uh, but i th i think in this case the the fact that he is just like pure goofy evil yeah uh kind of helps draw the audience in because you're just so you know you're just so like hypnotized by this <laughs> wacky performance right that i think that if they tried to make the character more well-rounded it might not work because the film itself doesn't really make sense yeah. so you kind of take it too seriously and, you know, by the end of the movie, you know, High Pike ends up kind of being like the highlight of the film. Mm -hmm. So I think if it was, so I think if it was a more complex performance, <laughs> uh, <laughs> there, this film might have less fans, you know, that's, that's one of the highlights for me is just how ridiculous he is. Yeah, at least some of its um, charm. Yeah, yeah, it, it would be less charming. So I don't know if that answers your question, Seth, hopefully, but, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but thank you at Beer Not One for the comment, appreciate it. Uh, so the last thing we like to do before we get into spoilers here, we're almost there, <laughs> is, is uh, the tagline versus the movie. So we like to talk about just the tagline, what we think of the film overall. So the tagline for Hack-O-Lantern was, The power is in the blood. <laughs> so what do you think of the tagline and what do you think of Hack-O-Lantern? <laughs> Perfect. Amazing. Awesome. That's my summary for all of it. <laughs> all right. Fair enough. Um, <laughs> no. So I think the tagline works. You know, it, yeah. it, this, you know, not only is the powers and the blood said over and 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 over again in this film. But, you know, th there's a big family connection in the movie. It's a lot about family. We're going to talk about how it's a lot about family. Uh, but as for the movie itself, you know, kind of going back to something we had mentioned uh, in the beginning of this is that. You know, I, I will just say I think the movie's fine overall. I, I like it for how dumb it is. It's not one that I would ever say, like, you gotta watch Hack-O-Lantern as, as the best Halloween movie. You're looking for a Halloween movie? You gotta watch Hack-O-Lantern. Like, I don't know that it would be my first pick <laughs> to offer to somebody to check out. Uh, but, but it is one that I personally have a lot of fun with. Uh, but the thing I want to say about it is that, like I think Chris had said, you know, this is a film where it feels like this small kind of movie where it's just a bunch of friends making a movie together and everyone's having a good time on set and it's laid back and 
you know, no one's taking anything too seriously. And like, I don't know that that was the actual case, but you do get, <laughs> you do get that kind of vibe from the film. You know, it feels like this really just, uh, you know, it feels like this film where everyone was just very close knit and, familial? you know, familial, yes, and enjoying <laughs> themselves, you know. Uh, so who knows if that's the case? I don't know. Low budget movie like this, maybe it didn't even have a crafty table and everyone hated their job. <laughs> you know, number one rule on a set is you have to have a crafty table, otherwise, fuck you. Yep. Um, so, so who knows how well people actually liked working on this movie? Uh, but you know, that, that's my take on it. Watching it is, it just feels like everyone's having fun. Yeah. You know? and, and that's very important. That comes through the film a lot, and that makes it a lot more enjoyable. So, anyway, we're gonna get into spoilers now. So again, if you have not seen Hack Lantern, please do go check it out. I believe it's streaming on Shutter. And with that being said, as usual, who do you want to talk about? You know, we have a pretty eclectic cast here. <laughs> uh, so who caught your attention? <laughs> uh, so I want to talk about Roger, who's played by Jeff Brown, who is the younger brother in this, because he is the evil one in this. <laughs> like, I know it's supposed to be Tommy. It's all about Tommy. He's he's the one because he's the product of incest and all that kind of shenanigans. But I think that Roger's actually evil one, and it makes sense that he ends up being, like, the cult leader in the end with the overdramatic coat. Because, look, the first time we meet Roger is him, like, running around the backyard with a gun going, trick or treat, give me all your candy before I blow your head off. Yep. And granted, as Matt look, pointed out. this is America. <laughs> yeah, and Matt pointed out he's a child. But, look, this is a dude who that's what he says in his first introduction. That's the only thing he says in his first introduction. And then suddenly he's a cop. And as a cop, he's running around with his gun. He points his gun at small children for I mean, longer than a second. Well, and then, <laughs> and then the the chick that he's with, who I always forget her name. I don't Beth. know. Beth. Yeah, Beth, uh, played by Patricia Christie. You know, and then Beth is like laughing, like, "Oh, he was gonna shoot you, kids." You know, <laughs> right. it's like. It's like, oh man, this movie would not work now. No, and then they go have sex in a graveyard. <laughs> well, that's fine. I mean, who doesn't want to do that? But. No, I mean, look, I, I laugh at the character of Roger, although it actually has some importance to me. But, you know, the when you see the character of Roger, it's just like, oh, yeah, that's just typical American family kid. Right. Like, you know, <laughs> the, this fucking little boy who's like running around with toy guns, threatening to shoot people. I mean, that it doesn't get more American than that. I think mm. he has a cowboy hat on, too, you know. I think so. And and then the fact that he grows up to be a cop. I mean, holy shit. Is that accurate? Like I have, you know, I know so many people that I grew up with who were kids like Roger, you know, mm -hmm. who who always wanted to play with toy guns and, you know, <laughs> threatened to shoot people and stuff or were bullies. And what do you know? Uh, half of them became cops and the other half weren't good enough to yeah. become a cop but tried, you know? So, <laughs> uh, so, so it's just, Roger is just a very all-American character of just, like, violent. Yeah. <laughs> violent wannabe cop and beat people up. So, but he does get really interesting. I have some things to say about Roger as we go. But, uh who I want to talk about is, of course, Tommy, played by, like I said, Gregory <laughs> Scott Cummins. And the reason why is first, first, I want to pose something interesting. And it's just this idea of how, you know, of how between Halloween movies, Halloween horror films, they kind of have this sort of connected thread about how they're all kind of not all, but how a, a lot of them kind of revolve around this idea of like, the corruption of the soul mm -hmm. you know and and again you know halloween is celebrated throughout the world but to me it's always felt like a very american holiday like it feels like you know we're the ones that go the biggest and the hardest with halloween oh absolutely and and in that is interesting because when you consider that we were founded by a bunch of like ultra religious nuts <laughs> you know it kind of starts to explain like why halloween is treated in horror the way that it is you know, because people making horror movies, they're not always necessarily making horror films like directly for horror fans. They're making horror movies for a general audience, right? Yeah. And for them, the general audience are those, you know, like we talk, well, like we've been talking about this month, the the fucking, you know, Christian do-gooder Puritans, right? Who who are afraid of things that are weird and creepy <laughs> and different, you know? Uh, and so so anyway, so it's always interesting to see these thematics revolving around Halloween horror that involve the corruption of the soul, the destruction of innocence, right? Yeah. And I find Hack Lantern really interesting, especially considering that, you know, it came about I th nine or ten years after Halloween. Mm -hmm. And when you look at them, they're not the same movie, obviously, <laughs> but they have similarities in the sense that both are kind of surrounding this idea of 
a little boy who becomes corrupted by Halloween uh-huh. on Halloween. <laughs> and in one case grows up to be a killer and in another case grows up to be who we think is a killer. <laughs> yeah. Um, but they but they both have that idea of like Halloween kind of possessing the soul, right? Like the actual yeah. like the actual spirit of Halloween taking you over. I mean, that's kind of what's going on in both of these and especially the original Halloween. But mm-hmm. uh, but anyway, what I really want to get into with Tommy is that, you know, to me, <laughs> to me, th- this is an interesting film because I can't quite figure out if it's pro-Christian or anti-Christian. <laughs> and <laughs> and the, the argument for pro-Christian is the way that Tommy's treated because you know, we automatically are made to assume that Tommy is like this really evil character and we spend mm-hmm. the entire movie thinking he's probably the killer because of the way he's portrayed because yeah. basically everyone looks at him like this fucking, you know, messed up weirdo mm-hmm. because what? Because he likes rock music? <laughs> <laughs> because he dresses in black? Well, uh, he's I mean, also a snarly asshole. Well, I mean, look, he's a jerk, sure, yeah. <laughs> but but the point is, like, the movie makes an emphasis on, look at this bad character. Oh, he's he listens to rock music. <laughs> His mom can't talk to him anymore because he's been corrupted by rock music, you know? <laughs> and, and, I mean, for God's sakes, the fucking devil horns yeah. showing up throughout, you know, like that classic, like, rock piece, whatever symbol that yeah. you want to call it. You know, like, that being the 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 secret handshake of the cult <laughs> again it's all playing into these ideas of like you know ideas that were very popular in the 80s of like oh rock and roll is destroying our youth you know and mm-hmm. you know and so like to me the film is kind of tying into those fears that were rampaging through america at the time of just like you know the satanic panic <laughs> era and like you know rocks just corrupting everything and whatnot yeah. And, and Tommy is that character to me, and his mom and the rest of his family are those fucking, like, you know, typical Midwest Christian Americans who are like, oh, my God, rock and roll. Like, oh, you're so weird, Tommy. You must be a murderer. You're, you know, like, they're all afraid of him and everything. And it's just, yeah. you know, all, all of that stuff is it's just so amusing to me. But that's that's the angle that the movie is taking is, mm. like, rock and roll, bad, evil, you know, all that kind of stuff. And... I mean, it's to the point where Tommy even has the moment where, you know, his mom's like trying to knock on the door and talk to him and he puts on the headphones and he and he actually says, like, I can hear nothing anymore. <laughs> you know, And he says it so aggressively that, you know, the purpose of it being like rock is rock is drowning out everything that's important. <laughs> All he cares about is rock and roll anymore now. You know, I just think it's funny because he's a poser. Well, and he is a poser, which is even more hilarious, you know, but, well, but, but see, that's the interesting thing is that, you know, by the film making us, making us as well think that Tommy's evil Mm -hmm. because of all of these things, right? Because of rock and roll and, (laughs) and all that, by making us have that viewpoint, uh, we assume of him differently than what he actually is as Mm -hmm. we kind of figure out throughout that he is a big fucking poser yeah he's a giant (laughs) fucking poser and roger's the evil one roger who upholds like the traditional christian values is the evil one never trust a blonde right well so (laughs) so so you know this whole thing is revolving around tommy you know and kind of like the the corruption of grandpa and halloween and rock and roll on him right and and there ends up being this emphasis on family where we constantly have the the mother who I believe is Amanda played by Katina Garner, uh, where we constantly have her like you know saying things like I just want to keep my family together you know like <laughs> what what is what it, why do you think this film in particular is so emphasized on family? Look, my takeaway from it is that it's showcasing how it's good to be a part of a family, but if you make that kind of your defining thing and you're too close-knit, it gets real weird and real bad real fucking fast. Because, like, you do have this constant pressure on family, but you see between, you know, the grandpa and the mom, because he also puts a lot of pressure on family and blood and she tried to break away from that also because he sexually assaulted her on her wedding day which is that would have a little something to do with it that would have a little something to do with it um but both of them are so possessive of family to the point where it feels like they don't even really see their children um they don't even really see you know everybody else well they don't and that's part of the point to me too so you know what's interesting here is 
So look, I mean, this is gonna be a heavy theme of what I'm talking about tonight, which is you know the fucking like war on rock and roll and culture. So, because <laughs> uh, because I mean, honestly, I think that's what this film's all about is mm-hmm. you know that movement from the '80s. But so so when I watch this, you know, it, it, the the conflict between grandpa and the mother with the kids in between, it feels like you know it feels similar to like a culture war to me kind of thing, mm-hmm. you know, which, which again is something that felt like was going on i mean really it's always going on in this country but in the 80s it was going on then too you know we had culture wars between obviously the rock movement and those opposed to it and all that Mm -hmm. uh happens every fucking time there's a new (laughs) big music movement you know um but uh but it feels like a culture war in the sense that like you just said you know the kids aren't even being thought of the kids are an afterthought the the kid the kids are this thing that they're possessing and they're fighting over right Mm -hmm. And, and we don't really care what the kids want or need or anything like that. It's, it's all about me, the parent and me, the grandpa. Right. Yep. And, and so it ends up getting kind of this culture war, which, you know, ends up tying in the reality a bit in the sense that, you know, any of us have grown up. I mean, it does kind of feel sometimes like a, a, a mini culture war between our parents and our grandparents and kind of how they, you know, conflict over how they think we should be raised and all this kind of stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, like I'm I'm sure my grandparents had plenty of talk to my parents about, well, you shouldn't let him watch that horror stuff, you know? <laughs> That's bad for the brain, or, or, you know, whatever the fuck they said. But but in a, in a larger scope, you know, it just feels like a metaphor for culture wars in general, where, you know, you look at Grandpa and his cult, and here they are, to me, kind of representing, like, the rock and roll world, you know? They're... Yeah. They're dressed in these robes, and they got pentagrams, and Grandpa himself, you know, has, I, I don't want to say queer, but he has, like, sort of a... Uh, he's a little flamboyant. He, he has sort of a flamboyant vibe about him, you mm-hmm. know, where he's got, you know, he's just, he, look, I don't know how to say this. He's not afraid to put on, like, eyeshadow and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, his makeup's and, on point. Yeah, his makeup's on point. It looks yeah. good, you know? Yeah. And, <laughs> and he's not afraid to do that, you know, whereas, you know, I mean, in the 80s, like, you'd be hard-pressed to you know, find your average American dude who would do that, right? So yeah. So to me, Grandpa kind of also represents the rock culture in that sense where, you know, yeah, musicians didn't care about that shit. They did yeah. it because it looked good, right? It's so, all about that heavy metal. Yeah, so, so you know, Grandpa and his cult, they kind of feel like that rock movement to me. And, it, you know, and it's why, again, I think there's such an, such an emphasis on Tommy and all of his fucking music and all <laughs> that shit. Uh, and then Mom is the other side of the culture war, you know, the the concerned parent that's worried about their kids being corrupted by rock and roll, you know, and yeah, and so so on on kind of like a large scope sort of theme with it, the the movie kind of feels like it can be summed up as like middle America being afraid of their kids being <laughs> taken by rock and roll, you know, like that's yeah, that's really what the movie just kind of ends up feeling like to me, and I think that's why or at least part of why the emphasis is so much on family mm-hmm. is it just, it's just tying into the idea of all of these concerned parents that are, you know, worried about the changing culture and, and losing touch with their kids. You know, that's what it feels like to me. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I think that there's kind of, at least for me, an added line in there that like, if you try to control your kids too much, if you try to be too restrictive and force your own viewpoint, it's not going to go well. Both of them, both of them are dead by the end of this movie. Grandpa doesn't survive. Mom doesn't survive because both of them are trying to hold on and force their viewpoints on these kids without mm-hmm. talking to them. And I think that's ultimately why they get it. Oh, no, but, for sure. But, yeah. And, and, and a lot of it, too, is, is about how that destroys, you know, your family because, you know, yeah. it, it's a little bit different of a case with grandpa and the mother and kind of like <laughs> kind of things that he forces on her right but like sex like sex <laughs> but the but you know at the end of the day it's it, it's still a similar idea just very different ways that it's done yeah. where where the mom is pushing hardcore to put her wants and needs on her kids mm-hmm. and it, you know i this is why this is why i think that the film's this is why I don't quite think that the film is really necessarily, you know, pro-Christian and anti-rock, mm-hmm. is that I think at the end of the day, when you kind of look at how both Grandpa and the mother are destroyed because they're doing that, yeah, you know, you can kind of start to look at it, at least in Mom's case, of like, okay, you push so hard with this, like, anti-rock movement and, mm-hmm. and you know, thinking that Tommy was being lost to you just because he liked <laughs> this music, that ultimately you end up losing your kid because you push so hard. Yeah. It drove you insane. You destroyed your family because you wouldn't just let your kids be their kid, be yeah. your kids, right? Exactly. Well, and I think it's interesting too. I don't think that this film is necessarily, 
I agree with you. It's not pro-Christian. It's not anti-Christian. I feel like it's pointing out more that being in the extremes is a bad thing and you need to find some kind of middle ground. And I feel like the reason I don't know if it's really pro-Christian is the amount of kind of nudity and comfortableness with sex in this film. Like we've got a goddamn stripper that everybody's super chill about. So I'm, what do you think about how sex is viewed in this film? Well, first of all, I want to clarify. I don't mean pro-Christian like it upholds, <laughs> you know, all of the Christian ideals. What, yeah. what I more mean by that is, I, I get what I'm trying to ask is, is the film trying to appeal to Christian fears mm-hmm. or is it trying to appeal to the fears of kids? Yeah. You know, to, to, to the kids that felt like they were being suffocated by their parents and that. And I, th- I lean more to the latter. You know, I think yeah. it's more about. I think it's more about that fear of the kids dealing with that suffocation. We just put such a heavy emphasis on the pro-Christian fears that it can feel like that's who the movie's aimed at, but it's really not, you know? I definitely agree. Because because so many of the movie's elements end up going against those ideals. So as far as the sex thing, Mm -hmm. I mean, (laughs) what's hilarious about this is again, look, you know, so this, this film came out in 1988. The, the slasher tropes have been long established by this point. (laughs) I mean, a lot of people forget that, you know, even though the eighties were like what we consider the age of the slasher, Mm -hmm. that age had already started to die out by like 1982. And in the sense that people were already kind of getting like full of it. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, and it and it took it took new interesting ideas like Nightmare on Elm Street in 1984 to kind of rejuvenate it here and there, but it had already started to get old, mm-hmm. right? And so so these tropes were well established by the time this movie came out. Mm-hmm. And a- as Joe Bob mentions, I haven't actually looked this up as a fact, but I'm sure it's true because I don't know any others that were directed this way. But uh, you know, not that I know, not that I really think this has anything to do with it. But uh, Hack Lantern was directed by uh, a guy from India, you know. And who maybe didn't wasn't as familiar with you know Halloween and <laughs> growing up with it, I, uh-huh. I would imagine. I don't know that India celebrates Halloween. Maybe they do, mm-hmm. but it's funny because you can see in the film that the tropes that we had kind of established as sort of like a side thing going on in these movies, like you watch Friday Thirteenth, and it's not about sex, but you know, yeah, it's the tro- the tropes are there of like, okay, yeah, you have sex in the movie, you're probably gonna end up dying, right? What's interesting about Hack Lantern is Hack Lantern took those slasher tropes and made them literal <laughs> for the movie, <laughs> you know, to the point where it's literally the only people that die are the ones that have sex. The, oh. the, and all of them that do that die pretty close to immediately after they have sex. So, <laughs> so you know, it, this movie actually literally becomes... <laughs> You have sex, you die. <laughs> you even if you think about sex, you die because there's the one lady who wants to fuck Roger True. and doesn't get to fuck Roger, but still gets killed. True, yes. Even if you have sex, you die. But but where that lady kind of ties into, you know, is, is is from that again the the and I feel like I have to clarify this again. I understand that the mom is never made to be Christian, okay? <laughs> so I just want people to understand where I'm coming from with this. It's I'm coming from the idea that again these movies are appealing to general audiences. Mm-hmm. America is largely Christian, whether we like it or not. I hate it, <laughs> um, but <laughs> but uh, but so anytime I see characters in movies that are very like anti-sex, anti-drugs, anti-teens doing anything, mm-hmm. you know, I always just automatically look at it through like Christian ideals, right? So also, it's the default flavor for white women. Exactly. So anyway. Um, <laughs> So so that woman that hits on Roger, you know, this this ties into a, another fear that mom has. You know, mom isn't just worried about losing her kids like Tommy to strange new things she doesn't understand like <laughs> rock and roll. Uh, not only is it that, but she's also she's really just afraid of her kids growing up. Yes. And so that's why sex ends up playing such a role into it is because every, you know, all three of her children are either becoming sexually active or are sexually active, mm-hmm. and that terrifies mom. Yep. <laughs> uh, to the point where she views sex as them growing up, and therefore they can't do it. You know, <laughs> and so so it's why like you know it's why there's such an emphasis on like uh, when when Beth comes over to see Vera, you know, and the mom says that like Vera's taking a bath or whatever, and Beth's like, oh okay, I'll go find her, and the mom gives her this glare of like 
the fuck you will you know <laughs> and and i take that as like even though vera's not queer at least not that we know of maybe oh, she's she, bi she and beth have definitely fucked okay maybe they're bi, but <laughs> but mom mom gives that vibe of looking at vera like like she suspects that vera might you know be gay potentially and is mm-hmm. like you know trying to tempt her daughter by going into the bathroom with her like basically it's just this thing of like ooh, i don't like that she's going into the bathroom with my daughter you know <laughs> And, and and again, like when they're kind of feeling each other up a little bit in the woods, you know, mom mm-hmm. shows up there too. And <laughs> stop being so handsy, girls. Right, exactly. So like, so mom's trigger is sex. You know, yeah. mom is like, mom's like, I I see someone even flirt with my kids, <laughs> they're dead. <laughs> I see you even flirt with my kids, I will stomp you to death with my hooves. Yes, exactly. You know, uh, no, I I agree with that. I think for me, the interesting thing with how sex is viewed in this film is it's the dichotomy of as you're growing up part of adulthood is is nudity and sex and being comfortable with all that i think that's why we see a lot of people comfortable in their own bodies in talking about sex you know from vera and beth in the bathroom to the stripper at the town hall party which is fucking weird you know that's that's a natural part of adulthood and all the kids are technically adults i am and it is it is that fear of of parents of letting your kid grow letting them grow up and move on to that next stage well look so here's an interesting thought is you know speaking of the the stripper at the party you know i I think a lot of us can watch this movie and uh, think to ourselves what the hell is the deal with this (laughs) random like casual stripper at this town party at like the town fucking hall it's a (laughs) hedonistic town well no so so what i think is going on here is i actually think that you know once you learn that the mom is the killer Mm -hmm. and you go back and rewatch this film it's one of those where i think you can start to kind of look at the movie through the mom's point of view so the stripper's not even there no i don't necessarily mean (laughs) that you know like look i mean movies are a heightened reality right yeah so, so I don't necessarily mean the stripper thing doesn't happen in this case. You know, I'm not looking at it like, oh, a psychological horror movie where it's all made up. What I mean is that if you look at the movie through the mom's point of view, I mean that in the sense of like looking at the film through what mom's afraid of, right? Mm-hmm. So, so to me, the worst thing that mom can imagine <laughs> with these <laughs> kids going to this party. Uh-huh. And keeping in mind, you know, as far as I can tell, it's like the high school party. It you know? is. And, it is the high school party. And, 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 <laughs> at, like, town hall where, like, nothing like this should be happening, you know. But but to me, I think if you look at it through her point of view, you, you look at it through her fear. And mom's fear is the worst thing that could possibly happen at this party is there's stripping, there's drugs, there's sex, mm-hmm. you know. So I look at that party as being, like, as being mom's worst fear of what that party is <laughs> and that's how i explain the stripper being there i still can't explain the comedian maybe she also <laughs> has a fear of stand-up comedians maybe she does maybe she thinks stand-up <laughs> comedians are like the devil's spawn but i just like the idea that this is a very hedonistic town that this is just a common occurrence there's just strippers everywhere everyone's having sex all the time <laughs> I mean, it certainly feels like it, you know. Yeah. I mean, for God's sakes, they've got a pretty big cult in this town for what seems like a pretty small town. So the, the kids are completely <laughs> unfazed by having a gun drawn on them. Yeah. So and and everyone's just fucking in cemeteries. Um, yep. <laughs> but no. So I. So yes. So that's what this. That's what the emphasis on sex is. Is it? <laughs> it is literally a have sex, you die movie. You know, <laughs> like to the T. Like that is actually what the movie's about. Yeah. <laughs> and one last thing I want to add there that I think is interesting is. You know, so so you look at the the literalness of the half sex you die trope. Mm-hmm. Another one that I'm interested in is you see you've seen this in so many movies. You might have experienced this in real life, uh, but you know, and, and I experienced this like being being a teenage boy at one point. Right, is that there's always that parent who, when you go to pick up their teen daughter, is like. You get her home on this time, you know, <laughs> like you get her home safer, you know, like like they're always very protective of the teen daughter. But yeah. they never do that for the teen boy. You know, like I never left to to go to a dance with my girlfriend at the time or whatever. And my parents were never like, you make sure you get him home on time and that he's safe. You know, <laughs> like like I never experienced that. So you're a boy. Uh, you're born impure. Well, right. So, <laughs> as America views it, yes. Uh, I'm allowed to go fuck like 30 people by the time I'm 12 and I'm fine. You, you on the other hand, you even think about it and you're like the, a witch. So, <laughs> But anyway, my point is, is that y- you have this scene at one point where, uh, where Tommy's about to go 
go off with this chick. I forget her name. His, I think, girlfriend. I don't really know. It's their relationship's not very clear. But he's off to go hang out with her, and and oh, like oh, she's real dangerous and stuff too. Like oh, she she wears. I don't even want to call them shorts. She's basically just wearing panties in public. She's got a yep. tattoo on her ass. Everybody at the <laughs> shop is like, uh, or everybody at the grocery store is all obsessed with their tattoo, right? Mm-hmm. Like, oh, oh, she's got a tattoo, you know? Like, it's like this cool hip thing that nobody else has, right? It ex- uh, it's an excuse to stare at her ass. Well, I mean, yes, it's a great, uh, yes, Chris, obviously yeah. <laughs> it's a great reason to stare at her ass. It's not the point. <laughs> the, the point is that this girl is another representative of like all these things that this town doesn't understand mm-hmm. and how and how you know fucking just have a stick up their butt that, <laughs> that people were at the time where like having a tattoo is like a big deal yeah but anyway the grandpa you know spots tommy in the car with her and he's telling her to get tommy home on time and talking <laughs> to him and talking to tommy about being pure and saving himself mm-hmm. and so to me it's like a twist on that narrative of the girl that has to get home on time, and now it's the boy that has to get home on time. And anyway, the whole big reason I'm bringing this up and speaking about Tommy's poserism is I have a small gut feeling that Tommy might actually be a virgin. <laughs> oh, Tommy is absolutely a virgin. Right? Yeah. It's not just me. <laughs> no. that That's why when he has the, the rock and roll dream and he's about to have sex with a woman, she stabs him in the goddamn throat. <laughs> right. It's like Tommy being afraid of sex. Yeah. And look, so I never got to it. That whole music video... Sorry, people. You know I like to ramble. Uh, so <laughs> and veer off on things. So so look, the whole music video thing that 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 is both mom and Tommy's fears coming together, right? Because yeah. you know that that whole dream, in essence, is like a wet dream gone wrong. Mm-hmm. You know where Tommy's like starting to have a sexy dream, and then it like scares him, <laughs> and you know he he ejaculates blood instead of the other um, <laughs> out of his throat. Yeah. Yeah, out of there. Um, <laughs> and and the dream also, I think, plays in the mom's fears too, because you know, it's it's again, it's all the rock and roll stuff. It's sexy, mm-hmm. and then there's other things too in there, which are maybe me reading too much into it, and maybe I'm offensive for even thinking this. But you know, the the girl in the video uh, is, I think, the only person of color in the entire movie, and so I think so. So so her presence specifically in that role almost makes me think like again if you're looking at it through mom's point of view you know this middle of america white woman Mm -hmm. uh christian white woman you know probably looked at this woman like oh she's different and you know like bad for my son or whatever you know (laughs) fucking racist bullshit (laughs) and then she also you know that same woman she also has that thing in the music video where she's got like all the arms going behind her and she you know, she looks like uh, the uh, the Hindu god that I'm forgetting the name of. Kali, the goddess of death. <laughs> yes, uh, she looks like that. And so that then also ties into me of like this fear of like, oh, other religions and other ideas. So so there's actually a lot going on in that music video that <laughs> that <laughs> that you wouldn't think is really happening there. But like <laughs> it, it seems so purposeless at the time. But <laughs> that that music video is like the entire movie crammed in the 10 into one minute. Right. So, yeah. Anyway, um, moving on. <laughs> <laughs> And did I mention that Tommy's girlfriend's the one who dies first because they have sex? Anyway, or yeah. because they want to have sex? Anyway, uh, what are your thoughts on mom being the killer? Because uh, we haven't talked about that yet. <laughs> no, so for me, it just points that she's just as bad as her dad, who she's trying to get the kids away from. Because she is just as controlling, if not more so. Like, look, the the grandpa is an evil dude. He fucked his daughter against her will. And I'm pretty sure Tommy's the result of that. That's what they kind of hint at. But the mom, I think, kind of showcases the fact that even when we try to break away from family and do something different, there's still bits of that that carry over. And I think with the mom, it really is that focus on family, keeping her family safe and protected and keeping everything within the family. And she goes a little like bonkers with it and decides that anybody who comes near her children is going to get fucking killed with a gardening tool. Yeah. So yeah, I think it's it's just about those those holdovers that we carry over from our families kind of bleeding into everything else. Okay. <laughs> um <laughs> nice thought. Fuck you. Yeah, well so I mean with with the mom being the killer, like obviously, you know, it it, it deals with all the stuff with like, yeah, you know, trauma being passed on, blah blah, all the, all this <laughs> stuff. <laughs> I just feel like we've talked about that kind of stuff so much last the last month that I like yeah. don't even want to touch on it. And, and yes, and that makes that probably, you know, carries over to her seeing sex is evil and all that stuff. But mm-hmm. what what I think is interesting here is that, you know, what I think is interesting is how 
is how the film actually toys with our own expectations. So, like, look, whether or not you guess the mom's the killer in the beginning doesn't really matter. Mm-hmm. The What matters is that the film gives you every red herring possible where it's like it it really wants you to think that either Grandpa or Tommy are the killer. And what's fascinating to me about that is that You know, again, if you kind of look at this movie through mom's point of view and this idea of like, you know, rock and roll is scary and like, you know, all that kind of stuff, satanic panic, blah, blah, all that stuff. Um, If you look at it from that point of view, then it becomes interesting that the film is actually trying to put us into the shoes of that mindset, because before you learn that mom is the killer, we've spent the whole film assuming that Tommy is probably the killer. Yeah because he's in the rock <laughs> and the devil stuff right yeah. and like you know we we end up assuming those things just like the mom assumes them mm-hmm. <laughs> and just like everyone else and his siblings assume them right yeah and you feel like a giant piece of shit <laughs> when you realize how wrong you were and how you never should have thought those things about tommy just because he likes rock and is into that stuff, right? Yeah. But the film does such a good job of, like, making you believe that, making you believe that, oh, he's into these things. Mm-hmm. He must be the killer, right? Yeah. Uh, not that you necessarily think that just because of that, but you get my point. Yeah. Um. So I think that the reveal that it was her all along is interesting in just how the film kind of toys with you and makes you see sort of, like, how wrong it is to assume that, you know, someone is so weird or different that they're a killer because they're into that stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Or because they're in the stuff that you don't understand, you know? So, so that's where I kind of start to come into like, I don't, ha- yeah, I don't think it's actually, as we're talking more and more about it, it's not, it's not pro-Christian or anything like no. that. It's not even a pro-Christian ideals. It's really just kind of, it's making a point against it actually of just like how mom never should have assumed those things about her son. Yeah. Just like you never should have assumed that he's a killer because of those things, right? Well, yeah, I definitely feel like the movie very much is, because even though there is this evil, this evil cult kind of around, the evil cult really doesn't do that much. Yeah, they cut off the head of a goat and then they press a stamp onto a girl's ass. The evil cult oh, does they, kill her husband. So. That's true. They do kill Bill. Okay, they're, they're not they exactly kill, free of guilt. <laughs> no, okay, they kill one person. I, but I do think it's interesting with this film that it is the mom, it is the patriarch of this family who ends up being the one who is the villain of this piece and then roger our upstanding son is the one who ends up leading the cult i think that speaks very much to this like you know if you buy into these you know for the most part christian norms overly much you could also be a villain and you know kill all of your kids friends yeah, I don't know if that's quite <laughs> what the movie's saying, but, <laughs> uh, but but speaking of, you know, let's talk about what we think the whole point of the cult is really quick here. Mm-hmm. Um, so first of all, I do also want to throw in, you know, speaking of the culture war, I I particularly love that there is sort of the Romeo and Juliet, two families against each other kind of stand down <laughs> in the end there with, with the mom and grandpa masked up and right. both like sword fighting on the <laughs> stairs, like... That is 100% Romeo and Juliet to me. Yep. Um, but within the same family. <laughs> but within the same family. But but as far as what, what the cult's actually trying to accomplish, like, what do you think? Like, why? <laughs> and j- just really quick, like, what do you think their goal is? Because what one of the most bizarre things about this movie is we never have a fucking clue no. what's really going on with the cult here other than they want tommy for some reason <laughs> look i i think that they're a white supremacist cult they're all what? they're all about purity <laughs> like they keep saying purity over and over again like and it's weird because the grandpa's just like no sex no drugs no alcohol and they try to keep everything within the family it's all really incestuous so it's a weird purity cult okay i i mean with okay. the goat head i mean okay maybe maybe there's an underlying tone of white supremacy i can I, see that i mean the girl that they they put a stamp on but she's like white super blonde roger takes over and he's your like perfect Aryan boy because he's white, <laughs> blue-eyed, blonde. Uh-huh. I mean, look. A it, bunch it, of Nazis. I mean, look, it's very possible. I, <laughs> I mean, even if you don't want to look at it like Nazism, <laughs> I mean. <laughs> that was a little extreme. I mean, white supremacy, sure. Like, you know, I mean, that ties into the whole middle America thing. And you're right. They make a lot of comments on keeping it pure and, 
and the and yes, you know the the tagline of the powers and the blood. Mm-hmm. You know, actually, the more I think about it, the more I think you're probably right <gasps> on that. Is that it? I did it. Is that the underlying <laughs> the underlying theme there or metaphor, whatever you want to call it? Uh, probably is that they are a, a you know it's basically just a metaphor for white supremacy. Yes. <laughs> just and keeping it in the blood, and that would actually tie in better to my music video uh thought here with why that might be the only person of color in the entire movie <laughs> is like the temptress for tommy right did you remember uh, you have one asian girl who gets a racist thing said to her oh yeah no that uh, super <laughs> so racist <there's> scene. Two. <laughs> um so no and, and and you know and it's an indian director so maybe he had something to say about you know the fact that <laughs> white people got a white <laughs> <laughs> yep. uh so no i think that's totally possible it's a lot better than my answer my you know what i was thinking is just that <laughs> I like I said I I thought that Tommy was a virgin and that you know I essentially sort of got the idea that maybe Grandpa after um, doing things with his daughter that he shouldn't have uh, mm. <laughs> I thought that maybe he actually has probably done it more than that one time and that maybe he thought Tommy was his kid mm-hmm. but maybe that actually was the husband's kid. And then Roger was actually the offspring of Grandpa, oh, and okay. and that's why and that's why Tommy doesn't fulfill his prophecy or whatever you want to call it, but Roger does, mm-hmm. and and that would make sense too because Roger is the more white supremacist one, right? Yep. Like he, like he, he likes guns. He's the more middle American type of dude, type of white dude, right? Yep. And so I kind of got the idea that Roger was actually the one that he meant to be preparing for this the entire time and really what i think they're doing is i i just think that you know a different way to look at the the powers and the blood thing mm-hmm. is i just look at grandpa being this cult leader i look at grandpa's you know essentially looking for someone to pass his soul into and continue the the family on that way right mm-hmm. um so i think that that's why he wanted tommy to be pure or whatever is <laughs> you know maybe that's a way that he overtakes him i i have no idea your answer is much better i think that that thematically works a hell of a lot better but I, but I do still think that roger was actually grandpa's son and not tommy so. i i don't doubt that look i also think the cult is a bunch of incels who aren't good at the sex things and that's the what- sex things <laughs> <laughs> Like, Grandpa got, got the one woman he had. He had his wife, had his one kid, and was just like, I, I don't know how to move on, so I'm just I'm going mean, to I mean, I mean, look, kid. I mean, look, if the only woman that Grandpa can get is his daughter, then he's probably not very good at the sex things, as you say. So. Right? <laughs> uh, that, uh, that's, why, that's why Tommy's not good at the sex things. But Roger is. Well, that's because Tommy just wants to fuck a guitar. Um, so, <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, so we got to start wrapping up. So who is your killer idiot of Hack-O-Lantern? I'm going to give it to the dad, Bill, because, like, you know that family's weird. You know that family's the weird family, and he still married that woman. I'm pretty sure Bill didn't expect to walk in on a poser cult that murders him because he saw them dressed in robes. <laughs> Can I just say, I'm very impressed by the, the two people who walk into the cult and are completely unfazed. Bill walks in, he's just like, well, I don't know about all these shenanigans, but you're going to stay the fuck away from my kids. And then Vera walks in. She's like, okay, fuck your cult shenanigans. He killed my boyfriend. Yeah, I, well, you said this town's a bunch of heathens, right? So I guess to, yeah. they're probably just used to this. Um, <laughs> my killer idiot is is Vera and Beth because they walk in on that dead woman in the bathroom <laughs> who who is sitting there looking dead as fuck and her eyes open. <laughs> and they're like, oh, she must be drunk. Like, are you fucking... She 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 does she looks fucking dead, guys. Like, it's just like that in the girls' room sometimes. You just walk in on lifeless corpses with their eyes open and assume that they must be drunk. <laughs> oh yeah. No, so so no, they were my idiots because that woman is so very clearly dead. She does not look like she passed out drinking. Her eyes are open, yeah. all right, and she has no response and she's not breathing. So they're my idiots. Um, what about your killer death? Uh, my killer death is Tommy getting murdered in his own dream with a pitchfork to the throat. Pretty great. Yeah, I pre- I like that one. Uh, my killer death is the woman in the bathroom. Not because it's a good death. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, because there are better ones like Tommy's there. Uh, this is my killer death because of how stupid it is. Because <laughs> because the woman, you know, asked our killer to to tighten up her corset for, for Roger, right? So her tits can look all firm and stuff. Mm-hmm. And... And so then the killer decides to like tighten her corset so hard that 
it kind of chokes her, which, I, look, any woman, all of you wearing corsets at any time, God bless you, you know, like, that, <laughs> that can't be fun to wear, but... <laughs> no, but it makes your tits look great. But it does do that. Um, but look, it's it's so ridiculous that he's, like, trying to suffocate her by tightening the corset, <laughs> and the buttons pop off, but then the hilarious part about it is that he's doing, or she's doing this, mm-hmm. and then and then the killer's just like, oh, this isn't fucking working, just takes out a knife and stabs <laughs> in the back, you know? It's like, ah, I tried to do it fun this way, and now I give up, I'm just gonna stab you, so... <laughs> I, I like the idea that since it's the mom this other woman's fully clothed and she's like oh that tit's about to pop out i don't want to see another tit i'm just gonna stab you yep, you never know uh what about your killer mvp <laughs> like my killer mvp for this movie is all of the extras because <laughs> look i i love this film and i love how into it all of our main cast is they're all fantastic but sometimes what really makes a b movie for me is the extras who are really setting up the scene and all of the extras in this are so into everything that they're doing and it's awesome my favorite one is in the scene with a stand-up comic because there's a dude and i think he's in a brown suit and he has glasses and he is so over the top with every one of his reactions and i love him he's very excited about the comedian Um, i love him (laughs) about the terrible comedian (laughs) terrible Um, comedian uh so so my killer mvp is is high pike as grandpa i mean it's just he, he's the life of this movie in my in my mind and you know speaking of extras like we said he is just so extra in the he's just so extra in the role that you cannot help but love satanic grandpa you right? know? So, <laughs> uh so I wish he was my satanic grandpa yeah no i mean it, it's funny like for his, for his well no i don't really want him no, as my I grandpa don't want but <laughs> he hit on me it'd be gross yeah no he, he'd be he'd be getting feely with you but Ugh. Um, but outside of that, I would love a <laughs> I would love a weird eccentric grandpa who loved Halloween as much as High Pike Grandpa loves Halloween. Yes. <laughs> uh, but no, he's the thing that everybody remembers about the movie, and so I, I think he absolutely deserves to be MVP. But uh, all right, so that being said, uh, that's gonna do it for us on Hackle Lantern. So hopefully you enjoyed that. I, I don't know if that was as you know <laughs> interesting maybe as some of our others, but look, I. This is one of those movies where I'm not going to give it the credit that it has a lot going on <laughs> intentionally, but maybe it does. Maybe it does, and we touched on some of that. I don't know. And sometimes you don't need that. Sometimes you can just have a fun, over-the-top movie. Oh, yeah. No movie needs that. No. Um, but when we're trying to figure out what the hell these things are about, you know, <laughs> this is just one of those where it's like, I don't know, maybe this. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, all right, so anyway, so next week we are going to be talking about the uh, more recent Halloween slasher film, Terrifier. Which I forget, Chris. Have you seen Terrifier? I have not, so I'm very much looking forward to this watching this scary clown man. Well, well, I will give you all the teaser with if you've seen Terrifier, I can already tell you that Chris, in particular, is going to be absolutely traumatized <laughs> by one scene in particular. If you've seen it, you know what it is. Are there needles? <laughs> worse uh if you've seen it you know what it is and i think that's gonna be fun to talk with chris about next week so now i'm um, not excited about the clown man yeah we'll see what you think uh so anyway so we're doing terrifier next week i i think it's streaming somewhere maybe on tubi go check it out uh otherwise that's gonna do it for us on hackle lantern so i'm matt and i'm chris and have a good night horpins bye i hope you've enjoyed tonight's episode of killer horror critic If you'd like to scream with us some more, please subscribe on iTunes and follow us on Twitter at KillerFromSpace, as well as Instagram at Killer underscore Horror underscore Critic. New episodes release every Friday, so keep your eyeballs peeled just the way I like them. Have a good night, horror fans.